don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body. And each member belongs to each other. We all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do so diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Oh God, as we consider these challenging instructions from the Apostle Paul, we pray, as always, for insight and understanding into who you are and into who we are and into the relationship that you're calling us into with you with each other and with ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, again, it's great to see all of you here on Zoom. And again, thank God for, for Zoom. As mentioned, we are not in person today. We're all online. Hopefully this is just for the next week or two uh, before we're back in person again here. But uh, we're glad that we are able to jump together on Zoom. And we're glad that you're here and have joined us. And uh, as you can see from our text, we are thinking about what it means to be a church community. In fact, we, for the last few years, we have taken the month of January to just reflect on what it means to be a church community together, and specifically what it means here for us to be Advent Hope. And this, of course, this discussion and dialogue has taken on a whole new life now that uh, church is, uh, has gone beyond the, the walls of this building and beyond the walls of our, our city and that the Avon Hope community now is not only national but global. And so we got to wrestle with what it means to be a church. And so we'll be doing that uh, through this month of January, thinking of our purpose, our mission, our values, what we're, we're about. In fact, we'll have some time to even dialogue one Sabbath instead of a sermon here in a couple weeks. We're going to get in breakout groups and wrestle with our purpose, our mission value, values, and what it means for us as we try to start this year off right, continuing to grow in what God calls us to be, and that is a church community together. And so that's our journey for January. And again, we're starting here with this passage from the Apostle Paul, the great communicator of the good news, but also the man who established many local church communities. So he was famous for going around and uh, meeting with the newborn believers and helping them to get church communities in different cities off the ground. And so today our passage came from a letter that Paul wrote to one of the church communities in the city, the ancient city of Rome. And I think the message is it's kind of an intriguing one. He starts off by saying, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. Now, what a New Year's Day uh, a thought. You know, I don't know about you, but you may have been reflecting on your experience and where you want to go in the new year. Maybe some of you made resolutions like I did about, you know, what, uh, how, what kind of person you want to be in the new year, what things you want to accomplish. But uh, Paul's words here, I think, actually uh, help us to kind of reframe the way we think of ourselves. Don't think of yourself more highly than, than you ought. In fact, he says, use sober judgment. Use sober judgment when thinking about yourselves. Now, this is not the only place that uh, Paul gives this instruction. In fact, this, uh, this theme of like how to operate together as a church community 
runs throughout a lot of his writings, which would make sense since he was often writing to different churches. And so when he wrote his first letter to the church in Corinth, he says something very similar. Uh, this is uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 12. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form together to make one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given to one spirit and that spirit to drink in and be transformed. Our bodies are made up of many parts, but we are one. And so this theme and this metaphor of being a body is, is prominent in the Apostle Paul's reach, teaching to the newborn church. And so the implications are that if you embrace the work of Jesus, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you are part of a church community. Those things go hand in hand. And if you are part of a church community, you are a part of this metaphoric body. And if you're part of the metaphoric body, then you have a role to play as a member of that body. You don't want anything on your body or a part of your body that isn't, that isn't working properly. And so that's the implication here too. If you're part of the body, you want to be an active and alive part of the body. So this is, this is quite a call as we think about what it means for the Avon Hope community to be, to, to be a part of the Avon Hope community, to, that we are called to be a, a collective, that we are to think not just of ourselves and our goals and our dreams and our hopes, but also uh, to think about the body. And each of us have different gifts that we can use. We should be using those gifts, those talents, those skills, those abilities, whether, whether innate or learned, to build up the body together. And so this idea of communal sacrifice and communal embodiment of living together is really at the heart of Christianity, and it's at the heart of, of what we're called to be as a community. Uh, historian Rodney Stark, who we've mentioned many times in the past, he wrote this book called The Rise of Christianity, how the obscure marginal Jesus movement became the dominant religious force in the Western world in a few centuries. And his thesis is basically, or the question he asks is like, how did this happen? You have this ragtag group of people in the first century in, 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 uh, in, in Israel that by the fourth, third or fourth century becomes a dominant force in the Western world. How did that happen? And he has a lot of assertions to why that happened. But one of his best assertions is that this is tied to how they did life together and how they embodied community together. One illustration is that uh, when, when uh, a member of the Christian community got sick, unlike in other communities that the people would go and try to take care of themselves or seclude themselves, Christians were very good at taking care of each other. So if someone got sick, they would literally go and help, even at the risk of their own health, would go and take care of the, the person and revive them back or help them and nurse them back. And that this actually had a profound impact on the way that society at large thought about the Christians because that was compelling. Wow, these people really care about each other. Uh, they take care of each other. They're not, they're, not, uh, they're, 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 they're not to escape away when they get sick. They get involved and get engaged and rally around and help. And so Stark makes the case that this had a profound impact in two ways. First of all, Christians had a longer life expectancy because they took care of each other, but also they, they influenced other people. Other people wanted to be a part of this community, right? We see a little bit of this today. I mean, we're in this pandemic, right? And uh, many of us are thinking about our neighbors, thinking about each other. We wear masks. 
not just to protect ourselves, but to protect each other. We, we, we go get the vaccine. Why do we get the va- vaccine? Not just because we're worried about our own health, but because we want others to be protected as well. And this is the communal spirit. So there is that spirit still alive and well. And yet, and yet there is also something uh, lost. There is an individualism that uh, has permeated the Christian church, especially in the West, that is a challenge to that, and yet we are challenged again by this idea of coming together and living and existing as a collective, an idea that Jesus himself affirmed in his prayer, his, his last prayers that we know of, his last recorded prayers, where he pray, prays for all believers. He said this, and he's talking to his disciples, my prayer is not to you alone. I pray for all of those who will believe in the message uh, through me, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. So Jesus affirms this idea of living together, of existing together in a collective fashion. May we all be one. May we be unified in, in purpose and heart and care and love each other. And so this idea of living together collectively is at the heart of what it means to be a follower of Jesus and to be a part of a church community. And so while collectivism is ingrained as the primary attribute of the newborn church, many of our churches today, many of our church communities today are far more individualistic than they are collective. And so that's something we want to think about as we head into this new year, as we think about what it means to be a church community here in the Advent Hope a community. How do we wrestle with this reality of individualism and in comparison to the biblical example of collectivism? And so we want to talk about what it means to be a church and what it means to, to a body. And, uh, you know, we're challenged by this in so many ways. You know, sometimes when we talk about church, we talk about going to church as if church is a, a place, it's a geographic spot, not the church, that we're part of the church. We go to a church, but the, the biblical idea is that we are the church. You don't go to the church, you are the church. Wherever you go, that's where the church is. We sometimes also refer to the church in the third person, especially when we talk about the church as an institution, and yet this, this is not the biblical idea of church. You are the church. If you are part of the, the body of faith, you are part of this collective experience together. It's not an institution. It's not a building. And so we're challenged with this idea of thinking of the church in forms that are different from what the Bible and the New Testament thought of the church of as a, a collective. And so our question today is like, what, what's going on? Why has the collective spirit disappeared in many church communities. What's going on? What got us to this point where we don't think of ourselves as a collective and where the church is thought of much more as a gathering of individuals? Now, I am not a social scientist. You know that. And so this is a little bit out of my area of expertise. Um, And so we're, again, starting a dialogue. I hope that this conversation is something that will continue certainly through the month of January as we wrestle with, with what it means to be a church in the Avent Hope context. But for all of us, that we're thoughtful about what it means to be a part of this uh, collective and how we got to the point where we are today, where many church communities 
uh, aren't really thinking of themselves as a collective. What has happened? And so I have a, 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 a couple responses to that, but I'm sure that there are more that we can uh, challenge ourselves with in the weeks to come. And so the first response is Western culture has promoted the idea of individualism for hundreds of years. I mean, you go back to the Enlightenment period, and uh, the, one of the core tenets of the Enlightenment was this advancement of the individual. And so the fact that Western, contemporary Western culture is largely rooted in this process that has developed since the Enlightenment and this idea of throwing off the shackles of forced collectivism and focusing on the individual, this has had an impact on all of us who live in Western cultures and certainly all churches that exist in Western cultures. This idea that the individual is of utmost importance and that uh, our focus has been on the individual. Now, certainly there's a lot of good that has come out of that. Forced collectivism is oftentimes not great. I mean, anything that is forced on you is often not going to be good for your your mental well-being. And so the idea of forced collectivism, where you're a part of a community, whether you like it, like it or not, and there are, there are restrictions in that community, and there's no place for diversity at all, and, um, and there's no place for the individual or individual ideas. Everybody is controlled by a monarch or a powerful church figure, and whatever that person says is what you do. And there's no question, there's no diversity, there's no debate. That is not great. Forced collectivism is, is not great. And so the Enlightenment idea that there has to be, that all of us are individuals and there's individual thought is important, and that was a good advancement. But, you know, as, as always is the case, there are extremes, and we swing from one extreme to the other. So the forced collective idea, getting out of that, the danger is you go all in on individualism and have no spirit of collectivism, and that is a, a problem as well. And so this seems like we're many of our church communities have gone. We are all in on individualism, not only church communities, but our, our, our culture at large. We're all in on the individualism, and we've lost that spirit of thinking of each other as part of a community, a community. And so this goes all the way back again to the Enlightenment. So this is not something new. This, this idea of radical individualism against collectivism is, is something that we've been wrestling with for a long time. You know, the metaphor, Paul talks about the metaphor of a body, that when you, you, you embrace the work of Jesus, you become a part of a body. We like to think of other metaphors like a movie, like we're all part of a movie, and, uh, and, or our own movie, and we're always the stars of the movie. You know, we're the protagonist of our own uh, movie. Well, interesting metaphor, but, but certainly not the way that the Bible thinks of and, and invites us to think about ourselves. We are not all the stars of our own movie. We are part of something much larger, and uh, we play a piece in a, in a big story, and uh, we are part of a body. So the body metaphor, much more helpful in the Christian ideal of how we're to think about ourselves. We are a part of a whole. We don't operate on our own. We are connected to each other. We're supposed to be connected to each other with Jesus as the head. So again, this Western idea of in radical individualism where we are to follow our dreams at all costs. Like the, 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 the enlightenment idea is that you have a, a purpose, you have a dream, you follow your dreams. It doesn't matter how it affects other people or what it does to other people. 
follow your dreams and that's what you were designed to do. This is just not an idea from the Bible. The Bible, the, the Christian idea is that we are part of something and we do need to think about how what we do affects other uh, people. Uh, uh, Susanna, my daughter, and I saw Encanto, the new Disney film, this week, and I was really intrigued at how it was also wrestling with these uh, issues of uh, the collective and the individual. And so it's kind of intriguing to see this idea being wrestled with in other contexts as well. So the church is not the only one that have, has been affected by this shift toward radical individualism in Western culture. All right, secondly, we're challenged by uh, this, this uh, reality of the church becoming less of a collective because many of us have, have experienced some level of forced collectivism and we didn't like it. Right, so you know, maybe maybe you were a part of a church community in the past that didn't value diversity, didn't give you space to be thoughtful in your own right and to be an individual, and that maybe even also offered some element of shame because of the way you thought or what you did, and uh, because of that, we were like we don't like that, or or maybe you, you have a background of a, a political environment that didn't promote any level of individualism. And so anytime we face forced collectivism, then, uh, and we don't like that, the response is to go all in on individualism, and again, we fall into that trap of swinging from one extreme to the other. But some of us have experienced forced collectivism in various different ways, whether political or, or, uh, or religious, and we didn't like it, and so <laughs> we're reacting to that by leaning all in on individualism. Uh, finally, the church wrestles with this issue of being individualistic as opposed to collective uh, because there is a desire, I would suggest an unhealthy desire toward extreme individualism that goes all the way back to the beginning of the biblical story. In Genesis chapter 3, the, the introduction of, of sin and brokenness into the world, the narrative goes like this. If you've read Genesis chapter 3, uh, you've, you've, you're familiar with this passage. This is verse uh, 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, our first parent, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat from the fruit in the garden, from any of the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, said the serpent. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. There's a lie there. <laughs> the lie there is that God is withholding something, is holding something, some information from you. And if you have this information, you are going to uh, receive enlightenment that you don't currently have. You're going to know good and evil, and you are going to have this extreme self-determination that you've never had before. Now, there, there's, of course, with every lie, there's a little bit of truth. There is certainly truth from that, but the idea is that there is going to be something good that's going to happen to you when you have complete self-determination and you're 100% able to operate on your own individualistic desires, right? That's at the heart of the lie. And so this idea that radical individualism is, uh, uh, is, is something good for us goes back all the way to the beginning, so it would make sense 
that we wrestle with this temptation of going all in on ourselves and our own identity and, and being out there on our own. And so there are a lot of challenges. Again, this is something we want to continue to talk about through January. Like, what are the implications of living in a culture that is very individualistic and yet being called into a community that is collective that we want to wrestle with? Uh, and so these are a few ideas to get that conversation started. But we also have to wrestle with the reality of how are we going to overcome this? Like, how are we going to live in a healthy relationship with each other that is, is not uh, radically individualistic, but also has some level for expression of freedom and diversity and isn't also radically and forcibly collective. There is a balance between the collective and the individualistic. How do we live in that balance? And of course, that always comes back to Jesus, who was, in, was incredibly, incredibly in on the collective. We're told in Philippians 2 that he made himself nothing and came and lived among us. The very idea of God with us. God who is in the community. He's dedicated to the community. He gives his life for the community. And so Jesus serves as an example for us of what it means to, to, to be in community with other human beings. And in that example, we see there, there's some insights that we can gain so that we can be better members of a collective and a community as well. First of all, like we've got to be with each other. Now that's hard in the age of Zoom, but you know, we've found a way to do that. I see Brian in West Palm Beach. I have never met Brian. Hi, Brian. I've never met Brian uh, in person, and yet I feel like Brian and I, we know each other pretty well, Brian, right? I mean, we've spent a lot of time in community groups together. We've spent time talking. We've spent time uh, uh, texting, and uh, we've found a way to, to make it happen. And so getting to know each other is at the heart of being a part of a, a, a collective, like do we know each other? Do we care about each other? Do we know what the needs of each other are? And so being engaged, being involved, being a part of uh, people's lives is part of being a collective together. And so that's one, one strategy as we learn to be a better collective member is to get to know each other better and spend time together. And so I'm thankful for Brian and I see a bunch of others here who, again, I've never met in person, but even despite that fact, because of the, the uh, advantage of technology, we've gotten to know each other. And so if we're going to be a community, we need more of that together. But Jesus is not only a great example for us. Uh, the truth is that because of Jesus' work on our behalf, we can be empowered to do and become that which we will never become on our own. So yes, Jesus was a great example, and we can learn some things about being a collective from Jesus. But because Jesus lived... And because he died, and because he rose again, and because he now reigns supreme, we have the promise that we can receive God's Spirit, and it's in the Spirit where we truly live to be a collective and individual together with each other. Think of the experience of those uh, uh, disciples. You know, they, they were very individualistic uh, uh, before Jesus death and resurrection, right? Some of them were arguing about what place they were going to have in God's kingdom, and they were looking out for their own needs and their own de desires, and they were thinking of them themselves. But by the transformation of the, the Spirit, post-resurrection, when Jesus said, I'm going to pour out my Spirit on you, we see them transformed. 
And they have a whole new attitude about each other and the community that they were starting together. And they become a collective that thinks and dreams and worships and grows together. Together. And this is what God is inviting us into. And it's never going to happen uh, by us just talking more with each other and getting to know each other. That's important and that's good. But what we need is spirit power to come and do that which we cannot do for ourselves. And so as we think of this journey together and we think of ways in which we want to become a better collective together and we want to have a balance between our individual needs and desires and the needs and desires of the, the collective God's Spirit's going to have to come in and do that in us and help us to understand how we can do that, especially in this new age where we are not just defined by geography. Advent Hope is not just rooted in New York City now. We are all over the country. We are all over the world. How do we exist as individuals and as a collective with that context? That is what we, we need to figure out if we are going to be the healthy community that God is calling us to be. And so... I don't know how all this is going to come together, and I'm excited to see how it comes together, and I'm excited to see what you have to say in regards to this question of how do we balance the individual and the collective, and how do we become a better collective? How do we push back against radical uh, individualism, and how do we think soberly about ourselves, like Paul says? How do we not only think about ourselves, but think about others? How do we uh, exist as a body together? I'm excited to see the answers that you have because we need everybody to participate in this conversation if we are going to become a part of the community that God is calling us to be. And it starts with the work of the Spirit. And so my hope in prayer today as we start off this new year and we think about where Advent Hope is going is that the Spirit comes in each of us and starts working. I know that's already been happening as Michelle and Nick and Stephen and we get together and we're praying. God is giving ideas about where we're going and we're going to be launching some things in January we're excited about. But the reality is we need more. We need more spirit and we need more thinking and we need more participation from you and from the spirit as we figure out what it really means to function together as a Christian community, a Christian collective, a group of individuals who choose. We're not forced to be in a collective, but you're choosing to voluntarily, like Jesus, who voluntarily became part of the human race, uh, we too voluntarily become a part of this collective and how that works and how God's Spirit does what only He can do in us. And so that's my prayer. I hope that's your prayer today. How can we become the community that God is calling and longing for us to be in this time of brokenness and division? Listen, the world needs more communities that are committed to transformation and committed to loving and caring for each other and functioning as a healthy body where we're not all just thinking of our own needs. The world is just dominated by individualistic thinking. Everybody is thinking for themselves, for themselves and about themselves and how we can take care of number one. And yet God is inviting us as the church to think of each other. And so, may God do in us what we find difficult to do on our own in this journey today. Amen.